0: Hey, good morning. Welcome to Mount Rainier Christian Center in Enumclaw, Washington, on a nice, brisk, sunny, cold day. Uh, My name is Tyler. I'm the youth pastor here, um, and I have a small agenda for what's going to happen over the next next couple minutes. We're going to do some announcements, then I'm going to tell a sad story that turns into a funny story, okay? It'll all make sense in the end, I promise. Weston's already laughing because he's already heard it. Uh, But uh, we just want to welcome you here. Um, Coming up over the next couple weeks, we have some exciting things. But uh, next Sunday might be the worst Sunday ever. And you're like, who's preaching? No, I'm just kidding. No, no. It's Daylight Savings next week. Yeah, you're all excited for this. We get an extra hour of sunlight. That's great. But at what cost? What's the cost? I like to sleep, so... You know, I am I love fallback. That's my favorite. But uh, on that note, uh, at this point next week, it'll be 8.54 a.m., so you'll be early for the 9.30 service. So uh, we're excited to see you guys next week. Um, coming up this Friday, uh, we have kind of a, Uh, New small group opportunity slash event. Um, You saw in the foyer, it is a family board game night put on by uh, our friend George Murray. He was over here last service. I don't know where he's at now. Um, I heard something that George Murray has like 400 board games. I don't think he's bringing them all, but that just means that he has the board game for you. Uh, So it's going to be in room 105, which is the kids' room down the hall. Uh, from 7 to 10 p.m. on Friday. We would love to have you. Also coming up in the next couple of weeks is our uh, Northwest Ministry Network Women's Conference. And so registration, I just talked to Cheryl, is due on March 13th. And so uh, it is on our website, on the homepage, you can register. Uh, and we just need to get as uh, registered as soon as possible so we can figure out hotels and everything like that. And then also, um, she did tell me that Uh, if you're not, like, staying in the hotel, they are going to do, like, meals and everything together. There's a a time for everyone to spend time together uh, just as the ladies who are attending the event. Also, uh, during construction, if you didn't notice, we have, like, half of our parking lot gone away. Uh, We are looking to expand our parking team, and it's not something where you have to serve for uh, an entire service. Really, there's only two small windows. It's 20 minutes before... Uh, 20 minutes in between, you know, first and second, and then 20 minutes between second and third, uh, where there's a lot of people coming and going. And so Pastor Dave uh, is heading up that team. Um, He asked me to do it, but uh, I know how to back in my truck, and that's pretty much it. Um, And so uh, he has a a whole plan and everything like that. So uh, uh, we're just looking to expand that. And if you are interested in that, please get uh, in contact with Pastor Dave, or you can sign up at the guest center. Okay, so now it's time for the sad story. Last Sunday, this is real. I, I promise, I wouldn't lie to you. Last Sunday, uh, my wife and I we had to put down our family dog. Oh, okay, yes, it was very sad. But uh, I told the kids during breakfast club that that had happened, and so they were very apologetic. They were very sweet and kind. And then Wednesday happened, and uh, you know I'm outside with the youth students, and this one youth student who was here on Sunday, <laughs> he comes up to me, and he's like, Pastor Tyler, how's your dog doing? And I was like, well, he's dead, so the, the look on his face was, like, mortified. And so I think it's hilarious. Um, so it, it's very funny to me, and I just, I, I wanted to share that with you, uh, because our our youth team is expanding, our youth ministry is expanding, and uh, if you feel like God is calling on, on you to um, invest in this next generation, this next generation is worth it. They are part of the church, um, and they are excited, and they are on fire for Jesus. They want to know more, and they want to be invested in. Uh, so if you feel like God is calling you to serve in that capacity, please come in and talk to me. Uh, you can call me at the church office, email me. Uh, in any way, I would love to, to get connected with you. Uh, Pastor Greg is, is bringing the word today. Um, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> but but he's getting better, isn't he? Yeah, 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 he's getting better at
1: it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you talk about what can happen when we serve kids, and um, it's so beautiful. I, I want to take a moment before we get going this morning and just recognize and thank and celebrate Uh, You know, we have, with Pastor Allison and Janae and Tabitha and Jessica and all of their team, we have, I think, the best kids' church team in our whole part of the country. They do amazing work. And over this Friday and Saturday, they took 96 kids for an overnight camp retreat. 25 volunteers gave up their, their weekend to serve at that retreat and God did beautiful things. The stories that I'm hearing already it's just so amazing and can, can we thank those who gave up so much time to make that happen? Yeah. When I think of what it takes for people to you know, set aside their weekend after a long week at work and then go and serve kids but, but Jesus said that's the most important thing in the world and And you'll know you're really grown up when you understand that, (laughs) when you understand that we're here uh, to serve kids. And that God is right in the middle of that all the time. So cool stuff. And and by the way, enormous thanks to all of us who are so faithful week in and week out in our giving that, that we can put on events like that, that we can provide for events like that. It, it's just amazing to me. Ron and I are getting ready to celebrate our, our 16th anniversary here at MRCC. And when I think of how many times God has done that kind of thing over the years, it's just an amazing thing to celebrate. So cool stuff. Uh, grab your Bible, if you would, this morning church and open it to Luke's gospel chapter 5 and we're going to continue this road trip that we've gone on in 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 2023 remember at the beginning of the year we remembered that boy there's a lot of stuff that happens in the media in our culture in our society that people just kind of slap Jesus's name on but the real Jesus wants us to know him as he really is and And just like if you got in a car with somebody and went on a cross-country road trip and the two or three or four of you spent days together in a car, you would really get to know each other well. In the same way, God wants us to know him well, and that happens. As we know, watch, learn, hear from his son. And so we've set this whole year to go all the way through Luke's gospel. And this morning we're in, we're in chapter 5 beginning with verse 27. And, and as we get going, oh by the way, I, I, Pastor Tyler neglected to mention, welcome to everybody who's online. You guys can get even with him in your own way. Uh, welcome to those who are joining us. But are you ever tempted, I mean I kind of know the answer to this already. Are you ever tempted to stereotype people? I mean, come on, right? We all feel that temptation. And the truth is, it's, it's sometimes more than a temptation. It's, it's sometimes just kind of the unconscious way we operate. You know, we go through the supermarket, or we go to the mall, or we go to work or school, and we just kind of put people in categories. This person's dressed this way, they must be that kind of person. That person looks this way, they must be that kind of person. We, we have a tendency to do this relentlessly, and we not only do it to others; we do it to ourselves. We put ourselves in stereotypical categories sometimes. Maybe because we've we've failed in certain ways. Maybe because we wrestle with certain challenges in our lives. And we just—it's it's the sinful nature. It's the human nature to to stereotype. But we're going to see Jesus this morning reveal that that's something He never does. That in fact, he approaches us in a very different way, no matter how many stereotypes we've been assigned. So Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 27. But first, you heard about, since we're talking about stereotypes, you heard about the the lawyer, the rabbi, and the Hindu holy man who were traveling cross-country on a road trip. They broke down out in the Midwest. And, you know, they ended up... uh, stay in with a farmer because the tow truck couldn't make it there till the next day. This farmer graciously invited them into his house to spend the night till the tow truck could get there. And he said, But fellas, the problem is I've only got two two beds in the house, actually a bed and a couch. So small house, somebody's gonna have to sleep in the barn, uh, tonight and The rabbi immediately raised a hand. He said, you know what? My people spent 40 years in the wilderness. We know all about uh, those kinds of experiences. We're close to our animals. I'll take the barn. The other two guys can take the house. So everybody said, great. Went to bed. About an hour after bed, there was a knock at the front door. And uh, the farmer got out of bed, came downstairs, and lo and behold, the rabbi is there. And he looks apologetic, and he says, man, i I'm sorry, I didn't know you have pigs in the barn. We kind of, pigs are unclean animals. Uh, I really can't sleep in the barn with the pigs. Man, I'm sorry. And and before he could even get done apologizing, the Hindu holy man said, hey, no problem. I'll take the barn. My people have lived with poverty for centuries. And we venerate animals. Not a problem. I'll take the barn. You come on in. So not a problem. They go back to bed. About an hour later, though, there's a knock at the door again. and. Farmer drags himself out of bed, goes downstairs. And now the Hindu holy man is standing there looking apologetic. and He says, I'm sorry, I didn't realize. You, you've got cows in your barn, and cows are sacred to us, and I, I can't really sleep with the cows. I, I, I just can't do it. I need to come in. And so the farmer turns to the lawyer, and he says, are you willing to go to the barn? The lawyer wasn't happy about it, but you know he realized the situation, so he says, yeah, I'll take the barn for the rest of the night. And finally they all get back to bed but an hour later there's a knock at the door again now the farmer's really upset and he goes downstairs wondering what the excuse is and he opens the door and there stand the pig and the cow (laughs) you probably saw that coming but if there's any attorneys in the room they're feeling stereotyped I I have an attorney in my small group and I've never heard anybody tell more attorney jokes than him but uh, but yeah stereotyping it's it's a reality it's something we all deal with and live with and like i said a moment ago sometimes we even end up doing it to ourselves but when someone chooses to believe in us when someone chooses to look past the stereotypes it can be the most powerful life changing thing in the world when we look past Stereotypes. And I remember uh, when I was a youth pastor, Ron and I were just starting out in ministry and, and we came home from a missions trip with the young people and, and our, our whole church had fallen apart. The pastor had gone into moral failure and, and a lot of people had left and there was a lot of hurt and there was a lot of anger. The whole board resigned. It was an awful moment. And and in the middle of all that, we were the only people left in leadership and so we, we were leading through trying to, Figure out what was going to happen next. Uh, and Northwest Network was getting involved in all this kind of stuff. And and after a few weeks of this, something happened that totally changed Rhonda and my life. And that was that some folks in the church, about 10 people, these were established, mature, wise, experienced people. And they invited us over to their house for dinner on a Friday night. And, and we just thought it was a time for fellowship because, you know, everybody was going through a tough time, but actually they had an agenda. When we got there, we, we sat in the living room and, you know, I'm in my mid-twenties, Ron and I are just young and new in ministry and really not that old in our faith. And um, this group of folks sat in a circle and they said, Pastor Greg, we know you're young, we know you're not experienced, but we believe that you can and should pastor us. We believe in you becoming the leader of our church going forward. Would you be willing to do that? We, we believe you can. And I gotta tell you, that was overwhelming because these people were much further along in life and faith than we were. And for them to say that to us, I remember wanting to go outside in the backyard and just pray for a moment. I went out there and I remember all my eyes getting all wet because... It meant so much to be seen that way, to be affirmed in that way. Of course, long story short, we went on to serve that church, and God did beautiful, good things. But I'll never forget what it felt like to be believed in. And here's why I share that story with you. God wants you to feel that. Jesus wants you to feel that. And we're gonna find Jesus doing that kind of thing in the story that's in front of us this morning. So let's let's follow along in God's word. Luke 5, beginning with verse 27. Here's what the scripture says. After this, after the you know the catch of fish and calling Peter, James, and John to be the first of the disciples. We saw that last week. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector. That, That means something. And if you're ignorant about those things, I'll share it in just a moment. But he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax collector booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up everything, and, uh, got up left everything, and followed him. Now, get a little context here, get a little of understanding about what's happening here. First of all, you need to know that in those days, a tax collector is, is organized crime. Okay, that's what they were doing. Tax collectors it's not like H&R Block and you go there once a year and get your stuff filed. No, this is this is extortion, racketeering, kidnapping, murder what would happen is the Roman army, realizing they only had so many soldiers, would hire local people who were willing to be enforcers for tax collection. And they would issue contracts to them. And they would send them out to collect these taxes from the people. And and where violence was necessary or even chosen by the tax collectors, the Roman army would back them up if anybody tried to resist. And Levi is one of those guys. He's, he's a turncoat. He's, a, he's a, a betrayer of his people. He, he, if, you, if you want to get a, a feel for what kind of guy Levi was, picture somebody in occupied France collaborating with the Nazis. <laughs> That's who the tax collectors are. Not popular at all. And Levi is one of them. And yet, Jesus walks by him and he says to him, follow me. Now, you, you understand, that's not kind of a, a 70s Jesus revolution, follow me, let's go down to the beach and get baptized and surf. That's not what's happening here, all right? That phrase, follow me, is a formal, professional invitation that was given by a rabbi to the pick of the crop of the young people in a village. And they would enter into an internship, a mentorship, where they would learn about being spiritual leaders. And so that invitation when given by a rabbi was an invitation to become a rabbi, to be taught and trained to become a spiritual leader. And Jesus gives that kind of invitation to that kind of person. Imagine what everyone who heard it and saw it felt like. Him? That guy? Jesus, how dare you? Him? Really? My bruises are still healing from the last time he visited my house. That guy, you're going to call to become a rabbi? And there would have been shock and dismay and confusion and misunderstanding. How would you feel if Jesus found you, caught you in your worst moment? And maybe that's a moment that only you and God know about. But how would you feel if in that moment Jesus said to you, hey, would you come follow me and, and join my mentoring program? I, I want to make a spiritual leader out of you. I, I wanna, how would you feel in that moment? That's what's happening to Levi. And the reason it's happening, church, what we want to understand about Jesus is that he is always seeing what people can be under his leadership than what they were without it. Let me say that again. He is always seeing what people can be under his teaching and his leadership, not what they were or what they have been without it. And so he goes around giving invitations to people who have given up on themselves or whom everybody else has given up on. By the way, this isn't the, the first time or the last time that God does things like that. His word is filled with stories like this. I think of, of Gideon back in Judges 6. Gideon is a small guy from the smallest clan, one of the least in Israel. And and like in Jesus' day, Israel is occupied by foreign enemies, and, and Gideon is completely intimidated by that, and he's hiding in a wine press and trying not to be noticed, and... God shows up and says, Gideon, I, you're my mighty warrior. Nobody was more shocked in that moment than he was because even he couldn't see what God sees. But when God looks at you and me and everybody else, he sees what they can be under his leadership. And he wants you and I as his followers to think and see the same way it is easy to think and see the opposite most of us do it most of the time you know we see a we see a scruffy half grown teenager and we think lazy irresponsible you know they're, they're long ways from having any potential or we look at a senior and we think yeah whatever boomer you're old you're almost done we can't wait for you to be gone you know you're out of touch yeah it, it happens in a million different ways we look at somebody from the city and we say well Obviously, you're a mess. Look at somebody from the country, and we say, well, obviously, you're ignorant. You know. And we, we stereotype relentlessly and endlessly. Sometimes we do it by people's ethnicity or cultural background. We say, well, you're this, you're that, you're the other thing. Sometimes we do it because of their profession. You know, We see a business person who's type A on an agenda working hard, and we say, well, they're just greedy. You know or maybe we see a, a construction worker or somebody in the trades, and we say well they 're not very smart. maybe we see a police officer and we say, "Oh superhero or oh bully or, you know we we stereotype relentlessly you know it even happens to pastors. some people see the pastor and think he doesn 't work and i I'm, I work every Sunday of every week I work on Sunday you know so uh, you know. but but you get what I 'm saying we stereotype don 't we We have the tendency to do that. But God looks at everyone and sees not what they have been or were, but what they can be under his leadership. And then he gives invitations to unlikely people, Levi being an example of that. And and, and church, here's the thing. Levi, this man, is utterly recreated... By Jesus' invitation, by his belief in him. Look, Look what the scripture goes on to say, verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. He certainly wouldn't have done that without an invitation. But given an invitation, he throws his home open, throws his life open. He gave a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him, outsiders, people who would have been stereotyped by insiders, specifically religious insiders. He invites them all to their house and they come. And just imagine how different this is for Levi. You know, a, a day before that, he would never have included himself with somebody like Jesus and he would never have wanted all of his friends to know that he was including himself with Jesus. But now, he's inviting them all over. He wants them all to be there. And a large crowd comes and they're Eating with Jesus. And the scripture says that, you know, a lot of people didn't understand. The scripture says that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to Jesus' disciples. They say, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you welcoming them? See, there's, there's some context here we want to understand. When you went to somebody's house to eat in those days, in that culture, in that tradition, that was a very public intimacy. That was a expression of friendship. Nowadays, it's kind of just, you know, we eat with whoever. But in those days, it was very intense. If you ate with someone at their house, you were identifying with them. They were identifying with you. And Jesus is doing that with this crowd. Why is he doing that? Because he knows. He knows what Levi can be with his leadership and his teaching and his life. And so he has given Levi an invitation, and now he's walking with him even before Levi has got his act together. Now, Levi, make no mistake, Levi has a lot to learn. But here and in this moment, Jesus is 100% with him because he knows what can and will happen. That's what he sees. Church, that's what God wants us to see about the people at work, at school, in our neighborhood, in our community. That's what God wants us to see. And... That's what God wants you to see about you. When he looks at you, he doesn't just see your record of failures. (laughs) Boy, have I got a long list. No, he sees what you can be with his leadership in your life. And so he is always giving invitations. And we are always being invited to choose whether to receive it or accept it or not. You know, Levi is recreated by Jesus' faith in him. That's one way to put it. I think uh, when we believe in someone, we help recreate them. Often, not only in our minds and hearts, but in their minds and hearts. The great Temple University basketball coach, John Chaney, somebody who just has a lot of good things to say, said this famously. He said, young men are like water. They rise to the level required of them. What did he understand? He spent a lifetime mentoring young men because he understood that when he stepped into their lives with invitations, he could help make much more of them than, than they imagined they could ever be. So he devoted his life to doing that. That's how Jesus lives as well, by giving those invitations. Who is it that God wants you to see in terms of who they can be rather than who they are? I love to tell a story about a young lady who was part of the church that we served in Moscow, Idaho, a college town, and lots and lots of college students. She was a college student. Her name Her uh, I'm, I'm going to give you a false name. Her name was Cindy, not her real name. But well, when Cindy first came to church, it was obvious that she was living a very non-church lifestyle. If we just put it that way. It was very apparent immediately. And yet, during the course of that morning, God touched her heart deeply. She came forward and, and gave her heart to Jesus and And after that, a a real adventure developed over the next several years of her college because she had a lot of things to struggle through. She had a lot of challenges in her lifestyle that she had to unlearn and how to grow out of. And for the longest time, she didn't look like everybody else in church. But can I tell you something else about Cindy? there's nobody I've ever known in my life as a believer or as a pastor who brought more people to church than Cindy. She was constantly bringing people to church. She was one of these people who never met a stranger, you know, who walked into anywhere and was talking to people. And she was constantly, almost every Sunday, she was bringing somebody to church. Sometimes several somebody, Sometimes a whole row of kids from one of her classes she'd bring to church. Sometimes the greeter at Walmart that she met. Sometimes the bus driver that she rode from one end of town to the other end. She was constantly bringing people to church. And every time she brought them, she was like, hey, You should come to church. You should meet Jesus. You should meet God. And she was relentless at it. I knew people that in the entire seven years that I pastored them never brought a friend to church. (laughs) And Cindy almost couldn't come to church without bringing a friend. Why? Because she understood that when God looks at us, he sees what can be infinitely more than what is. When God looks at you and me, That's what he sees as well. That's what Jesus is doing in this moment. You see, we've got to understand, church, that invitations are stronger than lectures. Can I say it again? Invitations are stronger than lectures. Who needs you to invite them into your life? Most people who talk about the need for lectures will never invite someone into their life. Because they're too busy condemning and stereotyping them. But Jesus does. Hey, here's something we want to understand in our time. God's solution to sin isn't to pass laws. God's solution is to go to a cross and uh, extend invitations. And guess what? It works. <laughs> Worked in Levi's life. Utterly transformed him. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 17, that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ doesn't mean there isn't right and wrong. It means that we get from wrong to right by offering invitations in grace like Jesus does with Levi in this moment. And the the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they don't understand. They complain. Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus' response is beautiful. Look at verse 31. He says, Jesus answered them. (laughs) This is kind of one of those duh moments. Jesus answered them and said, it's not the healthy you need a doctor. It's the sick. One, two, three, duh. One, two, three, right? I mean, come on. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. In other words, Jesus is saying, you guys think that, that God's out to reward winners when the truth is he's out to rescue losers like me and like you and like Levi. And that's what he does. That's the heart of God. And it will always confuse religious people. You know, I'm, I'm an amateur history nerd, so bear with me. The second century Greek philosopher, Celsus, you probably read him regularly, I'm sure. But Celsus describes how confusing the gospel was to good people in the second century. Here's what he writes. He says, those who summon people to the gods, those who invite people to religion, he says, they make this proclamation. Whoever has pure hands and a wise tongue and purifies himself from defilement, Whoever's soul knows nothing of evil, who chooses to live well and righteously, he shall find purification from sins. But, he complains, these Christians say whoever is a sinner, whoever is unwise, whoever is a child or a wretch, the kingdom of God will receive him or her. And they invite thieves and burglars and grave robbers and sacrilegious fellows. Why on earth this preference for sinners? (laughs) So why are these Christian people so different? And of course, the answer is so obvious. Jesus says, God is a father. And so he looks at us with the eyes of a parent. Think about your kids. Your your kids have all kinds of struggles and you know it, but your love for them isn't diminished by those, it's increased. Your commitment, your devotion to them, your invitations to them are increased as you recognize their struggles because you are always seeing what they can be. You're seeing with the eye of a mom, with the heart of a dad. And Jesus says that's what God does relentlessly. And it makes all the difference because those invitations recreate people. Now, please understand that Levi could have refused that invitation. And many will. And when we refuse that invitation, we separate ourselves from who we can be, and that's real and forever, but it doesn't stop God from giving the invitation. He doesn't put anybody in that category until the whole story of this world and this life is over. Instead, he keeps saying, hey, come follow me. And he's saying that to you and me this morning. Now, this whole Uh, upside down idea that's at the heart of Christian faith is actually built on a rock solid theology and the Pharisees didn't understand that and Jesus teaches it to them so verse 33 they the Pharisees said to Jesus after this incident they said John's disciples John the Baptist remember we met him John the Baptist's disciples often fast and pray they lead disciplined lives and so do the disciples of the Pharisees but yours go on eating and drinking In other words, your guys don't seem disciplined. And Jesus responds and says, can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from him. In those days, they will fast. And then he told a parable. Let's pause. We'll come back to the parable. What Jesus is saying here, to put it another way, is that life with God, spiritual life, what your Bible calls eternal life, which doesn't just mean life someday in heaven, but it means a life that starts now and continues forever into heaven. Jesus said spiritual life isn't just a matter of doing the right things any more than a marriage is just a matter of doing the right things. Now, let's make no mistake. There's a part of a marriage that's about doing the right things, and a lot of us would do better in marriage if we did more of the right things, amen? <laughs> but that's not what it's about. It's about the love between a man and a woman. It's about the respect between a husband and a wife. It's about the mutual submission between two spouses. That, that's what the marriage is about. And all the things we do just flow out of that. In the same way, the Christian life is about all the disciplines that flow out of our saying yes to the invitation. You now, Jesus talked about something called the new covenant. And I'm just going to take a minute to sketch this with you. The New Covenant is different from the Old Covenant. In the Old Testament, when Israel was at her worst moment in Jeremiah, they're in exile, they've lost the land, they've lost everything. God comes and says, guess what? You broke the Old Covenant. I gave you Ten Commandments. It's the right way to live. You rejected it. As a consequence, you're suffering. But he says, the time is coming when I'm going to make a New Covenant with you. And in this New Covenant, my law, right and wrong, won't be written on tablets of stone. It'll be written on your heart. And Jesus says that his coming was the bringing of that new covenant. And what does it look like? It looks like Jesus giving an invitation to Levi, who didn't deserve an invitation, but having been give, had it given to him, he said yes to it. And as the consequence was utterly transformed. Jesus said that's what the new covenant is like. And he said, let me paint a word picture for you. He says, no one tears a patch from a garment and sews it on an old one. Uh, If they do, the new won't match the old. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out. The wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. In other words, it is the joy of receiving the grace of God's invitation that leads to all the discipline. Jesus doesn't say fasting and praying is wrong or doesn't matter. He says there's something that matters more. And when you grab that, then all the other stuff comes, just like in a marriage because you're choosing to love one another. And Jesus said, that's what this moment with Levi is about. He's saying the new covenant of the Spirit is bigger and deeper and greater. Here's what it looks like, and we're almost done this morning. Scott Saul tells the story of something that happened at his church. There was a a single mom in church for the first time. She brought her two toddler boys and dropped them off in the toddler class. These two boys were pretty rowdy, pretty not used to being in a classroom setting like that and so as a consequence it was very hard for the teacher and in fact both boys picked fights with other kids in the toddler class and eventually it just got to be so hard that the nurse or the toddler teacher had to you know put the number on the screen and have mom come back to deal with her boys and when mom got back there she was upset she was angry she was embarrassed she began to shout at her boys as she took them out of the class. and she unplanned, unintentionally used profanity. And when she used that profanity, every head turned and every face was shocked. And, and she left crying at embarrassment and shame. An awful moment except that the teacher of that toddler class knew the Jesus who gave an invitation to Levi. And so the next morning, she called the church office and asked if she could have that lady's number and uh, an address because she had dropped her kids off, so they had that information. and She wrote her a little note in a card that she sent to her that day, and the note said this, I'm so glad that you brought your boys to my class yesterday. And I thought it was so refreshing that you were so honestly upset with them that that you kind of lost control of your language for a moment. She says, I've done that before. She says, I I like honest people, and I want you to know that I hope your boys will come back, and I I hope you and I can become friends. Would you like to go to coffee sometime? Well, the rest of the story is that mom got that note, that invitation. She said yes to coffee. The two of them became friends. Then they became best friends. And 10 years later, guess who's the toddler teacher class at that church? Yeah. Because God sees who we can be more than who we are or who we have been. And so he gives invitations. And he wants us to do the same thing, to share those kinds of things. I wonder who in your world God is, is prodding you to give an invitation to, to open your life to. That's what changed Levi. That's what made all the difference. Now, there's one more little point to this story, and that is that at the end in verse 39, Jesus, after telling the stories about the wineskins and the cloth, he says, And no one after drinking the old wants the new, for he says the old is better. What Jesus is saying is, Hey, everybody as we grow older in life has a tendency to love nostalgia more than we love what God is doing. We just get caught up in the good old days. We want it to be like it was. But God is seeking the people who aren't his yet. So he's always moving forward. He's always moving into the new days. And we can end up loving nostalgia so much, loving the good old days so much that we don't love God at all. And that we leave him to his business of seeking and saving the lost while we go off in pursuit of other things. And so Jesus says, beware of that. Watch out for that. Watch out for this tendency to think that it's not about giving invitations when in fact it is. Now, we don't have time to really get into it, but in the next little part of chapter 5 and chapter 6, there's another story that that illustrates the exact same principle. The disciples are walking through a grain field on the Sabbath. The scripture says they were breaking off heads of grain and just snacking on them, and the Pharisees had a cow again. And they said, why are you working on the Sabbath? They weren't working. That's dumb. They were basically having a 7-Eleven Fritos moment in the field while they were walking, but the Pharisees, oh, it's like harvesting. You're harvesting. And you're, you shouldn't be doing that. And they climbed his cage. And, and Jesus said, are you kidding? And he took them on a little Bible study, see, because it's always about God's word in the end. I love this little Bible study. that takes them on first five verses of chapter 6. I'll just thumbnail it for you so you can grasp it. It's the same idea. In the Old Testament, way back in Leviticus chapter 21, there's this commandment. And it's about something called the shoe bread. The shoe bread was a bread offering that the people would offer, and it was placed in front of the altar in the temple every day. And, and that was what the priests would eat for dinner. Way back in the old days, like now, the congregation would give, and part of what they gave would be to take care of the priests who were devoted to teaching God's word. Same thing's happening in the Old Testament. And so this shoe bread, God by commandment said, that's only to be eaten by the priests. Okay, so every day that's what happened. But... David and his guys, 1 Samuel 21, are running from King Saul and they don't have any food. And they're scrounging around trying to try and find something to eat. And they stop by uh, the temple where the priests are living. And they say, hey, do you got any food here? Because that was a storehouse. A lot of times there would be, it's kind of like a food pantry in the old days. And he said, no, man, we're completely out. The whole land is short of food. All we've got is the shoe bread that's only lawful for the priests to eat. Because God commanded that it should only be eaten by the priest. David says, you know what, give it to us so the priest does and David and his guys go and eat this bread now on the surface that's breaking God's commandment but Jesus says no what David did was right because hunger is more important than ritual reverence ritual reverence is important those reverences that we build into our lives build us but Jesus says they're not an end in themselves no the point is bigger than that so when David was hungry and when he ate that bread he was doing the right thing and the Pharisees went how dare you confuse us with what the Bible actually says And Jesus says, you see, guys, you're doing the same thing with this Sabbath business. The guys are just breaking some heads of grain. They're not out here harvesting. And then it gets even more intense because a guy needs to be healed on the Sabbath. And healing is work done by doctors. And Jesus does it on the Sabbath. And they're just freaking out about it. Jesus says, you've completely lost touch with what matters most. Church, here's what we want to grasp in this moment. God has a lot of commandments. But at every moment, one matters more than others. And we need to know what matters most in every moment. His commandments never change, and all of them are a blessing. But there are times when one matters more than another. This is why when a man came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment in all the law? Matthew chapter 22. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says this world-shaking thing. It's a new covenant thing. He says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All of godly living hangs on these two commandments. Making these two things the priority. doesn't mean we don't fast. doesn't mean we don't pray. It doesn't mean we don't engage in the shoe bread. It doesn't mean we don't sometimes not eat for the sake of spiritual respect. But in every moment, what matters most is what we're meant to know. And in the moment that Jesus walks by Levi's tax collector booth, What matters most is not what Levi has been, is not who Levi is today, is not what Levi has done and is continuing to do, but what Levi could be with an invitation. And so Jesus gives him that invitation. And as a result, everything is changed. And that's what he wants to do in your life and mine. That's his agenda. He wants you to stop looking in the mirror and seeing who you were. And instead, receiving his invitation to become something much more. Something amazing. And he wants you to look around at the people in your life and stop seeing stereotypes. Red, blue, city, country, 49ers. Yeah, well, we can keep that one, all right. But <laughs> he wants us to see who people can be. Who is God calling you to do that with? An invitation... Is infinitely more powerful than a lecture. Who is it that God is calling you to see differently? Is he calling you to see you differently? And when he gives that invitation, are you willing to receive it? And are you willing to give it? Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. And gosh, that moment when you call Levi, what an incredible moment. And it leads to so much. It leads to this revealing of your heart and, and of what's true and real and good and it reveals your power to change a life and, and it shows us who we can be. God, we thank you for that, Jesus. And my friend, if you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus' invitation, he's right here in this moment offering it to you again. Jesus said whenever we would come together together, Even if there were just two of us, he would be there also. And he's here in this moment. And just like he did with Levi, he's offering you an invitation. He says, I'm not concerned with who you have been. I'm inviting you to discover who I made you to be. I'm inviting you to leave behind that tax collector's booth, that life of sin. I'm inviting you to leave it behind and to let me teach you who you can be. You can say yes to his invitation just like Levi did right now. He hears your heart. You just tell him, God's listening to you. Maybe you said yes to that invitation a long time ago, but somewhere along the line, you just got distracted and caught up with other things and you stopped giving that invitation and then you stopped receiving it yourself and Jesus is inviting you to remember his heart, what he's about. You can receive that invitation again right now. Just tell him. He's listening. God, we thank you for your word. As we go from here today, God, help us to see beyond the stereotypes. Open our eyes to all the Levi's in our life. Give us a heart for them as we understand your heart for us. We pray for that and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Mm Somebody said after first service, Pastor Greg, ever since you came back from sabbatical, you preached much longer. (laughs) I think he was trying to give a compliment, but I wasn't sure if that's what's happening. God's inviting you. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God, tell someone you love him. Have a great afternoon.